Hello, we're back with another episode of the Feed the Ball podcast. I'm Derek Duncan, and today for episode 30, I'm talking with Bo Welling. Golf course architect Bo Welling, it's fair to say, has a restless mind. He holds degrees in both physics and international business, and also landscape architecture. At one point, he moved to Ireland for a year to immerse himself in Lynx golf and the study of Irish playwrights, and he later worked in international banking. Oh, and he's also heavily involved in curling. You heard that correctly and has been a board member on the United States Curling Association, as well as the founder of the Palmetto Curling Club in South Carolina. You heard that correctly. Yes, he's an interesting man. Welling started working for Tom Fazio in the late 1990s, and was involved in the creation of some of Fazio's highest-profile courses of the early 2000s, notably Sage Valley and the Elotion Club. He left to open his own design firm in 2007, and in addition to projects with his own company, he began to work with TGR Designs, the design company run by Tiger Woods, as a senior design consultant. Over the last decade, Welling has assisted Woods in TGR Design with the completion of several courses, including Bluejack National, a broad, sensuous design in Houston that already charts inside the top 40 on Golf Week's list of best modern American courses. Woods' courses thus far, aided by Welling's construction and design know-how, have been graciously and even thankfully received by most of the golf cognoscenti, and show a level of consideration, playability, and strategic wisdom not typically seen in quote-unquote signature player-architect designs, especially not those right out of the box. In this episode, we talk about that, about some of Welling's architectural projects that go beyond golf and into the realm of creating outdoor spaces that can enhance human sociability and interaction, and also discuss the pending redevelopment of two historic Chicago public courses, Jackson Park and South Shore. A quick production note, Bo was on the Monterey Peninsula for events surrounding the U.S. Amateur when we spoke, and he was on his way to a tournament tea time. We had a window in which to speak, so this podcast is a little shorter than has been the norm. There's some commotion in the background at certain points as he was moving through the hotel and shuttle en route to the golf course, but I don't think it detracts from what was a very fulsome discussion. Bo is a great conversationalist with a lot of really progressive and relevant ideas. Here's our talk. I hope this helps you get to know a little bit more about him and his thoughts on design. Playing this golf tournament, and so I'm gonna have to get on a shuttle at about 6:30 to go over to a driving range. I thought it was gonna be more like seven, so I can keep talking. I just don't know what the, what the audio will be like. Okay, we'll give it a go. It'll be okay. our first uh, adventure travel podcast right. on the road good. with Bo Welling. Right. Um, so you're originally from Greenville, South Carolina, and that's, right. that's where your office is. And you're on the West Coast today. So uh, tell me what you're doing out in California. So I'm out playing in, so the U.S. Amateur is at Pebble Beach, and so as part of that, here they're having the U.S. Amateur Challenge. So we played Spyglass yesterday, we played the, uh, the Lynx at Spanish Bay today, and then there's a cut, and a certain number of teams will play tomorrow at Pebble Beach as they'll be down to just a couple matches, I guess, left in the Amateur. So, however, based on however based on my team, my my and my teammates' performance yesterday, I think we will be uh, missing the cut. So oh, we may be doing something else on Saturday. That's pressure, you know. Yeah. With a with a rounded Pebble Beach on the line. Wow. Yeah. Maybe you got you might have a fifty nine in you though, like Snedeker yesterday. I hope so. Maybe you'll inspire us to, to do better. There you today. go. There you go. So, have you been to Pebble Beach before? I have um, several times. So it's a wonderful place, and I love environments like Pebble Beach, Pinehurst. Um, you know, uh, St. Andrews, just golf mecca kind of places and just seeing people so passionate about golf. And uh, it always gets me like really char- charged up when I'm out here at Pebble Beach. When I'm curious, when you look at a course like Pebble Beach, we'll take that for instance, and, and you, you're, you're wearing your architect glasses. Do you ever look at a course like Pebble Beach, let's specifically Pebble Beach, and say, yeah, you know, I could, I could see ways where this hole could be better or this green could be, you know, fixed up a little bit if I just got an opportunity can you do you do that, or are you just accepting of the courses when you find them the, the way they are? I think I'm more the former than the latter. I mean, I, I you know, I, I think everything can be improved upon. Um, maybe I shouldn't say everything. Maybe everything within an asterisk, but it's pretty close to. It's a pretty small asterisk. Even like when I go and look at stuff that I was involved in in the course of my career, I always when I revisit it, I always think about, wow, maybe we should have done this or could have done this. Um, and so I think it's just the, the, my 
just my nature of how I'm wired. It's, it's always like, okay, this is great, but you know, can it even be better? Um, and I don't mean that in a way to be critical towards any place or critical towards Pebble Beach, but I think it's part of my process as a design professional is always to sort of question what you're looking at and try to posit or, 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 or brainstorm about the what ifs and the possibilities. Yeah, I can see how that might be concerning if you ever got to that point where you weren't doing that. You'd worry that you'd lost your point of view. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Pebble Beach is interesting because for as great as it is, it's it's you know maybe one of the ten greatest courses in the world or twenty in the rankings. It's hosted majors, and yet almost everybody who looks at it thinks that ah oh, you know this course could be even better. It's it's funny that way, you know that it's, it's for being so great and acknowledged as great. It it does seem like it hasn't quite reached its full potential at that site in those holes. Yeah, I mean I think it's it's it's. Um you know, it's the kind of place that is a mix of a lot of different things going on. So you got an incredible, incredible piece of ground and property that's just absolutely spectacular. So if there wasn't a golf course there, like you'd want to go walk around on it anyway, kind of thing. And then you've got so much history there, as you alluded to with, with major tournaments and, you know, some of those indelible moments in golf have happened there. And you've got some, you know, very spectacular golf course architecture at, at times, but then I think there, there are other times where maybe it's not, there's a sort of better holes, I think, than, than they're good holes and then they're, they're great holes and they're good, good holes. And I think you almost want to try to say everything should be great because it's such an incredible setting and it's such an incredible place. I mean, I think the eighth hole is one I've talked about in the past. It's like, if you go and, and uh, if you're, if you, if you played around a Pebble Beach and you've just finished the awesome par three seventh, and you hit the tee shot on eight and then stopped, like, y- y- you wouldn't think much about the eighth golf hole. But if you went back and dropped your ball and went to the fairway and hit the second sh- shot, you'd say, oh, my goodness, this is one of the greatest second shots in all of golf. And so I think that eighth hole kind of summarizes a little bit of, of Pebble Beach. It's like uh, um, there's, there's, there's greatness to it and there's goodness to it. And, uh, and maybe, maybe, maybe sometimes you want a little bit more. But I, I sound like I'm being way more critical than I would ever be about Pebble Beach because it's really a spectacular place. Yeah, no, I understand. And, and that's the push-pull with that course in particular is it – I mean, it's driven by visitor rounds, tourist rounds, resort rounds. So any change you'd have to make it or you'd want to make it at Pebble, you know, might add on to that six-hour round that you're already – you know, facing there, it's probably going to make things a little bit more uh, difficult for the retail golfer. Yeah, it's a great place, though. And again, just being out here, amateur going on right now and seeing all these guys playing in this tournament and other guys out here playing. Um, it's just it's just really neat. It's got me charged up about golf. Like, I, I don't get the chance to play that much golf these days. Um, and you can certainly tell that by my round yesterday. But just being <laughs> in an, envir- an environment like this, like, makes me think, oh, man, you need to start playing some more golf because you really I really miss it in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, good luck today. I hope you Thank hope you. you find a way to scratch it, make the cut, and you'll get that Pebble yeah. Beach round at least. That'd be great. So I imagine it's hard for you to stay in the golf world because you have such a wide variety of interests and you, and you have different degrees and completely disparate subjects. Uh, tell me briefly kind of your road into golf architecture. Sure. So I am from Greenville, South Carolina, as you mentioned, and I went to Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, they kind of let me in on the, like the Southern quota kind of deal. But in any event, um, I was there and trying to debate, like, you know, what, what do I want to do in life and what do I want to study? Do I want to study physics or science or do I want to study art? Like, that's how coherent I was. And I, I literally woke up one morning with this epiphany. Uh, what about golf course design? That's sort of engineering and technical, but artistic and creative. And I played on the NCAA powerhouse Brown bear golf team. And, um, right across the street was the Rhode Island school of design. And they had a landscape architecture program. Tom Fazio was building a golf course in my hometown at the time. And my father was one of the developers of that project. So I started calling Tom and asking him, how does one become a golf course designer? And he basically had to, answer my my phone call because i was like a son of a client and uh and that ultimately led to to me uh developing a wonderful relationship with tom and and he invited me to come work in his office during the summers all throughout college i I kept studying landscape architecture at RISD, and make a long story a little bit shorter i just ultimately all that morphed eventually into me going to to work for him for for over 10 years in college, were you able to study golf course design, or was it more of a general landscape architecture background? 
it was more of a general landscape architecture background, but the Fazio guys would every year would like look through the RISD course offerings and help me decide, you know, hey, this would be more apropos for golf. And then, and then sort of, and then playing on the Brown team, you know, that gave me a lot of opportunity to play, you know, lots of wonderful Northeast golf courses. I took a year off and went to Ireland, lived in Ireland and at the same time and played, you know, tons of links golf in Ireland. And, and so it just sort of, I wouldn't say that the coursework was specific, but I was very intentional in terms of the courses I did, the experiences I was having, uh, all was trying to lead me toward this path of, of golf course design. How does it, having a background in landscape architecture, the non-golf side, how has that helped your development on the golf course side? What, how has that been an influence? I think it's, you know, some of it's technical, just like, you know, grading and, and drainage and uh, stuff like that. But then I think in terms of sort of site design and, you know, thinking about how things work uh, um, in terms of flow of people like around the clubhouse or, you know, if it's set in a, a bigger context like a community or a resort, uh, I, I think all of that. And, and then ultimately, like one, of, one of the things I've become a big believer in, in terms of what I do, and it's, it's one of the reasons our firm has kind of gotten so strange in, in terms of what we do, is I'm a big believer that design professionals, a, a big responsibility they have going forward is, is to try to design places and spaces to help people truly come together and be human, like to gather in, in, a, in a human element, as opposed to just green teas and bunkers. And, and so I think that, that foundation at RISD and the foundation in landscape architecture um, helps me with that. And I think golf's a great uh, venue to do what I'm trying to talk about in terms of bringing people together and, and you know, let's go walk a golf course and talk uh, as opposed to be on a phone or, or whatever. And so I, I think that um, all that has – every little thing I've done that's been diverse in my background, I think has sort of le- has led me to where I am and has been a big influence. And so I'd say that that landscape architecture uh, basis way back when has certainly contributed to that. One of the biggest kind of issues golf faces, among many issues that golf faces, but one of them is to do ex- find ways to do exactly what you're talking about is take a piece of land, have it built and financed, and yet have it be open – in a way that everybody can come together. Golf is hasn't in America traditionally been known as a democratic egalitarian place where everybody can come together and, and use common ground. It's not like in you know in in Scotland as you well know like St Andrews is closed on Sundays. It, the land belongs to the people. They have right to roam laws. It's the opposite. You know in America it's all about private property and you know presentation and green fees. So how have you found ways to achieve what you're what you're what you're passionate about is bringing people together in a common green space via golf because that there's not a lot of good examples of how that can be successfully done. Yeah, I mean, I think it still can be done in a private setting. I mean, there are wonderful, great private clubs that have become great communities and the gathering of people. I, what I would say, though, is, is that I think it is changing. And, and, and you know, there certainly is a course in my career where, you know, exclusivity me- meant not a lot of people and very expensive, and, and that was deemed great. I think that's really changing because you go to a lot of, of, of places that were built that were like that. They're, they're really not that, from a human standpoint, like they're not that interesting. Like you go to a restaurant or a bar at a, a, one of these places and they're empty because there's just not a lot of people. So I think what you're going to see going forward is golf courses that are going to be more open. It may not be to the extreme of like what you're talking about in Scotland, but I think you'll see the private club start to be more open and start to be more encouraging of more people because uh, I think it makes sense in terms of, of just revenue and different revenue streams as well as it becomes a more interesting place and I think the younger generations are going to want that even more um, in terms of, of body heat and action for lack of a better term um, and so you, I, I think you'll see the the model of golf in America it already has I think started to switch to change a little bit uh, and I think it'll kind of continue to do so. From a private, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Bo. Well, I think in terms of drilling down in terms of golf design, and this to take it a little bit further, what you're asking. Yes. You know, I'm I'm a big I'm a big tent guy in terms of, of design of golf. Like I want the most amount of people to be able to come and have fun, and 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 I think that's also something I think you see changing is that you know building overly difficult golf courses is a very narrow 
market, if you will. And, and I think that people have, as you say, golf has issues and this, that, and the other. So to me, like, I'm, I'm like, let's cast a wide net. Let's, you know, I don't get to practice and play golf so much anymore. And so it's harder for me than it used to be. So I think golf courses should be wide off the tee and should be very, very playable and maybe get stronger as you get closer to the green. Um, but I, I really want, uh, you know, you as a good player, my mother is not the greatest player. Uh, my best friend in life is definitely not a, a very good player. Like, I want all those people to be able to come show up at a golf course and have fun. And I think when you do that, then more and more people will show up. And then it becomes more and more of a gathering space and gathering place of people from that are diverse in terms of their ability to play golf. I guess the barrier to that is is if, you know, you just talked about sort of envisioning this or, or how private clubs can be, you know, cast a wider net and be more inclusive and become more of a social gathering place. But there are barriers to getting into into private clubs, you know. So do you see uh, more private clubs around the country, like, relaxing their initiation fees? Or how do you see that the public interaction being applied to a private setting. Cause yeah, like right now I don't see too many good models for that. I don't know if it's just, I, I don't know if I'm just saying necessarily, I see a big public interaction at a private, private setting, but, but a, a place we're involved in with Tiger Woods called Blue Jack National outside right. of Houston, outside of Houston. So if you go to one of the old great clubs in downtown Houston and you're a member, um, and let's say you wanted to bring a, a, a big group to go play golf. Like, that's probably not going to happen. But at Blue Jack, from the, from the very beginning, the whole intent was, no, let's, let's allow our members to bring lots of people if they want. And so it's not unusual for, for Blue Jack to see, you know, 16 guys show up to go play golf, and maybe with one member or two members. And so I, I, that's the kind of thing I'm, more, I'm, I'm talking about in terms of, of, of being open and and not open in terms of, hey, you can just show up at the, at, at the gate and pay a fee, but like being more encouraging of, hey, having more people come is, is a good thing. And, and so what happens, I think, when you start doing that is that, one, people, get, people that aren't members get to experience stuff more. Um, it becomes a much more vibrant place in terms of people that are there, the, the amount of people, the amount of activity, the amount of potential for social interaction. Uh, and at the same time, the club benefits in terms of their, here's additional revenue that's coming in as mm-hmm. opposed to the, to the burden being solely on a very, you know, small number of people in a very, you know, quote unquote, exclusive type situation that just becomes very, very expensive. Um, and it becomes not so much stuff going on. So I think that's more what I'm talking about. I think that the next step of that would be as opposed to like really big initiation fees, um, you, you start to look at more of a use membership or more of an annual kind of thing. I think you're going to see more of that happening. I, I think the, the younger generation is, is in terms of the, the level of commitment is very different. Um, and so asking for a big initiation fee is a big commitment. And so I think you'll start seeing um, things change where, hey, you come be a member for a year and try it out and you're paying X and it, and it sort of uh, evolves for that with the sole intent of getting more and more people coming and using um, club amenities or, or golf amenities. Yeah, that's very intriguing. One of the things that's also intriguing about your firm is that, you know, you just don't do golf design. You're involved in some true landscape architecture, landscape planning projects. That's right. So, I, you know, when I, I worked for Mr. Fazio, I, I got involved because I was, you know, I love golf, played golf since I was two years old. I mean, I was a greens, tees, and bunker person. Um, I think when I got, a, you know, started working for him and getting to work on many, many wonderful, awesome projects all around the country, what I found is that the projects that I really liked the most, they all had great golf courses. But they were more than that. They were more than greens, teens, and bunkers. They really were this thing I'm trying to talk about of, of, a, of a community. They were gathering. There was a human part to this that made them, to me, really, really cool. And so I, I got fascinated by that and studied that and thought a lot about that and, 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 and started to realize that a lot of times what it was was, was was the environment outside of the actual greens, teens, and bunkers that helped contribute to that, to that, that community, if you will. And so when I ultimately decided to go out on my own, uh, I very much wanted to be a part of that in addition to, to Greens, Tees, and Bunkers. And I'd also probably gotten a little bit, I don't want to say jaded, but 
a little bit um there's always sort of a when you worked on a real estate development golf course there's always sort of a battle between you know land for golf land for real estate and I, I didn't like the battle, if you will. I always felt like someone should look at it more holistically. Like, what, what is the best for this, this client? What is the best for this piece of land? What is the best for this project? And so I felt like we were, or I was you know, kind of uniquely suited to kind of look at it that way. So from the start of our company, we very much wanted to plan outside of the golf course boundary, if you will. And so that really started initially as doing just that, like, like a, you know, helping plan a real estate development around golf or a resort around golf or whatever around golf, but it's always around golf, around golf. And uh, ultimately, I had a client friend from South Carolina, you know, convince me of, you know, all this stuff you talk about, about getting people together and gather and being human again and putting the phones down. You know, he said, you know, you don't have to have a golf course to be in the middle of that. You know, it could be anything. It could be a, a town square. It could be a park. It could be a, a fire pit. It, it, you know, it could be anything. And so I thought, you know, guy, he's probably right. And, uh, but you know, that's, I don't really have the entree necessarily into that world. And then he ended up having this, uh, having a big project uh, in Columbia, South Carolina, big redevelopment of a you know, urban situation. And, uh, and he ended up inviting us to get involved in the, in the planning team. And, and that ultimately morphed into us becoming the master planners of this thing called, called Bull Street. In Columbia, South Carolina, which is the redevelopment of the South Carolina Department of Mental Health's old campus, which was um, built around an 1850s era uh, asylum, and so lots of wacky old buildings, you know, lots of big historical trees and landscape, uh, and so we got involved in that. And it's a big mixed-use thing with you know retail and office, residential, minor league baseball stadium. We're designing right now, building right now a 20-acre urban park. Um, and so that was a big shift for the company because all of a sudden here we were doing something pretty major that had absolutely nothing to do with golf. And it sort of required us to hire some, uh, some, some folks that or some newer folks to kind of help us with some of the technical part of that. But it's been a great, uh, I think, thing for us because now we're doing lots of planning pro projects that have not have nothing to do with golf. We're still doing everything we've always done with golf. Um, but it's also, but having these two, two facets, if you will, sometimes it comes together where we're doing that kind of stuff around golf now too. And so I think it's actually made us even better in terms of, of, of what we're doing. Um, and it's helping to contribute, I think, to making, um, golf projects that we're involved in even better. I don't know if right. that makes any sense or not, but it's no, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think most people agree that golf development really started to head down, uh, a narrow and, and dangerous path kind of beginning in the maybe the 1960s when golf is becoming so tied and dependent upon real estate and this is kind of the the age of the landscape architecture architect as golf course architect you know guys like George Cobb and Willard Bird and Desmond Muirhead who come from landscape design backgrounds who are transitioning into golf and they're developing uh, development, suburban development, suburbs that where the golf and housing is co-mingling. And a lot of the results, looking back on it now, uh, you, you know, they, they've, they've kind of bastardized the old, old style of golf. And, we're, you know, we don't look back on that period and a lot of those developments so, so fondly. But then something that happened in, in landscape architecture, kind of in the 90s and, and beyond, uh, with these sort of new urbanism developments with like Duaney Plater's Zerbeck at Seaside and in Florida, and these types of concepts where you can better integrate human interaction with development. Do you, did you study that? I imagine you, you have a, some familiarity with that. And just going back to what you just talked about, how do you see a, a golf kind of being integrated into land planning and urbanism in a way maybe that it hasn't been done successfully yet? Is that, is that something you see as a potential movement area in golf? Yeah, I mean, in a way, that's kind of what I've been trying to talk about. Uh, I mean, so far with you, it, it's it's like if you look at say what Duani did at Seaside, or you look at other new urbanist type stuff, like all, what that's all about is really trying to get people to interact on a human basis more. You know, it, it's it's putting denser development in a, in a scale, in a human scale way that promotes pedestrian activity, it promotes connection, 
And so in many ways, that's what I'm trying to talk about with golf. Like, like that's what golf to me can be a very big part of that. I mean, that's how golf started. I mean, look at St. Andrews. St. Andrews is playing into an urban town, an urban setting where it's walkable and scalable. And so I think there's an incredible opportunity. I would maybe disagree with you. I mean, I, I don't want to get the technical detail of, of Cobb and Muirhead and, and, and Burb, but just the whole idea of residential development around golf to me is not a negative. If done, it can be done right. I mean, I, I would agree with you that it went through a phase where, you know, string golf holes out to maximize the amount of frontage of real estate on golf. I wouldn't be the necessarily the biggest fan of that. But the idea of having residential development around golf to me is not a bad thing at all because that, that brings people there and if, if done right, it can be integrated into making it a really great place. And again, I would put San Andrews up as being an example of that in some way, in, a, in, a, in somewhat of a conceptual way. I think where it went wrong was with these increasingly larger and larger developments, there was a, a loss of intimacy, a loss of integration, as we've been talking about between the the players and the surrounding. You know, you'd, you'd play the ninth hole and you're two miles from the clubhouse, you know. So is what you're talking about trying to almost recreate a sense of intimacy and, and closed quarters mixing golf and whatever other the, else the development is around it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, if you look at, I, I think, a well-planned development or, or short answer is yes. The longer answer is, I think that if done right, if done correctly, that what you're calling intimacy, I would say is, is, is pedestrian scale. It's human scale. It's like, hey, I can walk from here to there. And, and be around people and help people to connect. And I think, uh, I think that is what makes sense. If you look at a lot of the developments that are happening now or developments I think that are successful, um, that residential activity tends to be clustered quite densely around the start and stop of golf. Um, and that's, it is because of what I'm talking about. It's like, hey, I can just walk down to the clubhouse or, hey, I, you know, I can, um, you know, I'm just in close proximity where other people are that I want to be around as opposed to like getting everything strung out and in a much more suburban sort of context where now I've got to get in a car or a card or, or whatever to get from point A to point B. Uh, you mentioned you worked with Tom Fazio for a no, uh, quite a number of years, and some of the projects you you worked on were some of his highest profile projects of that era, like the Elotion Club in Sage Valley. Um, what did that did that skew your idea of design a little bit to have you know that level of resources available to you to build a golf development? Um, you know that's definitely the top of the architectural pyramid as far as clients go. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, I. I think that I, what I think Tom taught me the most, I mean, he taught me lots of wonderful things, but one, one of the things I think he taught me was to be very client oriented. And, you know, and that our job is to try to help a client achieve his goals and his objectives. So if you had a situation like Warren Stevens at Elotion or Weldon Wyatt at Sage Valley, they wanted to build a great place and they had a lot of resources to do that. You still, had to be responsible in terms of, of using those resources and you're trying to help them achieve what their goals and objectives were. It doesn't mean that every client's like, like that. I mean, most of our clients would, are at that time and continue for me to this day to tend to have some economic goal or economic objective they're trying to, trying to reach. And so whether that means spending a lot of money or a little bit of money, um, it can vary so long as you're trying to make sure you're achieving the goal and objective. So, I, so even though we had the opportunity to work on projects with lots of resources, we worked on many projects that had you know, a smaller pool of resources. But at the end of the day, the common theme was always, hey, here's somebody that wants to do something. How can we help them achieve that goal and objective? Right. You may you may not agree with this, and you may you may object to it. But I, I just want to get, I want to see like where you're coming. You know, see where you're coming from. Do you think that that Tom Fazio is misunderstood in the in the golf architecture community? I mean, it's hard. It's a funny thing to say considering all the success he's had and and how many courses of his are in the Golf Digest top 100. But you know, f from one aspect of it, do you think that he's misunderstood? Um, I think that maybe a little bit. I I um. I think that, how do I say this? I, Tom, to me, is a wonderful, wonderful human being, a wonderful golf course designer. He made his clients be very successful, um, and he's built a lot, of, designed a lot of wonderful, great golf courses. I think that there is a segment of golf course 
architecture critique that you know, maybe doesn't agree with things that he agrees with, which is fine. Um, but Tom, you know, is a big believer of making things aesthetic and making things pretty and, 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 and obviously very playable from a golf course design perspective. And I think, you know, he, he kind of came in through um, sort of the end of maybe the era of, of, you know, big budget projects and, and, and sort of like the things we were just referencing the last question, right as, as sort of this next sort of wave came of more minimalist type attitudes that were very contra to what sort of Tom believed. And again, what he believed was, you know, this is what my client wants to do. How do I help them achieve that? And so if you want to call that misunderstood or, or just disagreed with, I, I, I get all of that, but you know, I, I personally think Tom Fazio is a wonderful golf course designer. And if you ask me to go play one of his golf courses right now, I'd be ready to jump on the bus and go. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I, I, I have a number of my favorite golf courses came out of the Fazio offices. So, but it, there is, there is sort of that, that, um, two sides, you know, ends of the spectrum with him that you get with a lot of people who pay attention to golf course architecture. And he represents one style of construction method. And of course he's, he's, always got the best clients too. So I guess in a way, who, who can, who can blame them? That's, that's who you go to if, if that's what you want to build. Where do you pick up on, on his aesthetic and his style of design and where do you differentiate? Um, so again, I, it's, it starts with the client. I mean, I think what he's taught me the most, and I think is that you're here to serve a client. You try to help them to achieve their goal and objective, whatever that may be. And, and I think this is where people like to, maybe critique Tom is like, so Tom would say, you know, if a, 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 a client has a site that's featureless, then there's a way to make it very interesting by spending money and, and creating a beautiful environment literally out of nothing that may cost a lot, but Hey, if that's what the client wants to do, we have the means and capabilities and the skills to go do that. So I, I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in, Hey, here's my client. If I've decided to work with them, I'm going to do all, all I can to make sure they're successful with what they're trying to do. I think that Tom has had a big influence on me in terms of the idea of playability and the idea of a sort of, as I mentioned earlier, a, a big tent or a wider net. Um, and so we're very focused in many ways on making sure we're, we're doing stuff that's very um, accessible playability wise to the most number of people. I think maybe where we would, where I've sort of branched off and maybe a little bit different is that um, I'm still very much into, you know, aesthetics as he is, but the whole idea of just Tom likes to use the word framing uh, in terms of framing the picture. I think maybe I, I, there's parts of that that I, I believe in too, but I think there's a way you can sort of over frame something um, so I, I, I think you've seen me, for example, maybe less bunkers, you know, I've gotten to where in the course of my career, I've, I'm very, um, I don't really want to put many bunkers in place unless they're truly in play and serve some very strategic value. And so I think to specifically answer your question, I think we're probably designing golf courses that <coughs> where we're thinking more and more about strategic choices uh, about how to how to play and maybe more so than I, I did in my Fazio era and probably putting um, bunkers or hazards in, in places where maybe he wouldn't have done that I don't know it'd be a good question it'd be a good question for somebody more non-biased or independent to go mm -hmm. evaluate something that I'd have been involved in pre-Fazio and post-Fazio given an analysis Right. And then you, so you started your own firm in around 2008. And one of the, one of the first, obviously most important associations you made was with Tiger Woods. How did that relationship begin? What was your common ground there? And, and what was the situation that brought your, his firm and your firm together? Yeah. So I started my firm in 2007 and I had, I had met Tiger Woods while at the Fazio office. Um, we'd been involved in helping the Tiger Woods Foundation do the um, golf elements at the Tiger Woods Learning Center, and I, I got to I'd gotten to know Tiger's father Earl, um, and ultimately led me to get to meet Brian Bell, who now runs Tiger Woods Design. And it just happened that they were starting to think about doing a golf course. Um, uh, their first golf course were really starting Tiger Woods Design, um, 
in in 2006, and they had reached out to me while I still had Fazio to ask my opinion about how they should go about doing some of this. And um, because we had this relationship through the foundation because we had helped the foundation with these golf things. And so I started helping them while still at, at with Tom and, and, um, and didn't really know, didn't really, it was really more of a friend and helping thing. And, and so what, when it ended up happening that I decided to go out on my own, they still were sort of in this need for some assistance. And, and so it just sort of kind of came together that, you know, this timing happened to be kind of right that when I was going to start my own thing, they, uh, they had this project um, that they wanted to tackle and they needed some help. We mentioned you mentioned Blue Jack Nat, Blue Jack National, and that's been very well received. Uh, the, another high profile project that you're involved with, and it's been going on for a while, is the South Shore Jackson Park uh, renovation in Chicago. That's gotten quite a quite a bit of press, although it hasn't hasn't started yet. My impression is it's kind of uh, there's some legal activity that's holding it up, at least for the meantime. Where are you with that project? It's, a, it's going to be the most unique project I've ever been involved in by a factor of like a lot. Um, so Jackson Park is you know, south side of Chicago. It was where the 1893 World's Fair was, which arguably kind of put Chicago on the map in terms of a global city. Um, and there's been golf in Jackson Park since 1899. Um, it's the first golf course built west of the Allegheny Mountains. And interesting enough, it was a, uh, going back to your public accessible questions earlier, uh, the, Jack- the golf course in Jackson Park was actually a, was free to the public from 1899 until sometime in the late 20s, uh, which is kind of interesting. That'd be nice. But in any event, the, the project has been talked about doing a big project to upgrade um, the Chicago Park District's golf elements for quite a while. And Jackson Park is the only 18-hole golf course that is part of the Chicago Park District. And so um, when it was announced that the Obama Presidential Center was going to be uh, placed in Jackson Park as well, that sort of led to um, the confluence of a lot of factors sort of coming together bring Jackson Park redevelopment kind of more forward. So in any event, we have been working on it for the last two or three years. Uh, it is a very complicated project in that um, it is very much a community asset that people have very passionate and disparate ideas about. With the Obama Library going into the park, it has brought up big master plan questions about the park in general. So we've gone through a fairly lengthy public engagement process um, to garner input, of, you know, specifically about the golf, but also about the whole master plan of the park. And so that pro- that process has has been, I think, very positive uh, for the most part. It's it's you know created lots of opportunities for. You know, newspaper stories, and there's, there's certainly been some opposition to, to some of the ideas about what's happening in the park. But all of that's really has come together, and um, and where it really stands is it's in a is a process of getting getting funded and getting permitted in a lot of ways. Um, and I, you know, I, I fully expect that it will probably be under construction uh, you know, within a year's time or something like that. Uh, it's also very technically challenging project in that um, part of what we're doing is taking the 18 original holes at Jackson Park and linking them with nine holes at what is known as South Shore. Uh, and so to do do so, we have to cross under uh, a very different road. Um, and so, and then the, the holes along South Shore are right next to Lake Michigan. And so from, from a technical and engineering standpoint, um, it's it's a very challenging project. So it kind of has all kinds of things going on. There's there's lots of stakeholders and community engagement. There's lots of politics. There's lots of technical challenges. It's truly in an urban environment, you know, one of America's great cities. Um, so it's just lots of things to kind of balance and work through. But we're, we are very close to, to, to being at a point, I believe at least, where, where construction you know, could start within the next, as I said, 12 months or so. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be an incredible, incredible, it's going to help, I think, transform the south side of Chicago. Not just the golf, but the the whole Obama activities as well. Um, And in terms of specifically the golf, I mean, we're going to have world championship quality golf. 
but in a, a urban environment, south side of Chicago. And so in terms of the engagement with youth and, and, and the local population, um, it's, it's, it's really going to be a unique and special thing that uh, it's going to be excited. When, when, when Tiger first started thinking about golf course design, I remember he said to me, like, I really want to, I don't want to do this just to do this. Like, I really want to be in, uh, be involved in unique and special uh, projects. And I, I, I really, I don't know how there could be a project more special than what is contemplated by Jackson Park. Yeah, as someone responsible primarily, you know, for the design aspect of it, do you sometimes feel like you're caught in the crosshairs, you know, between the the community side and the government side? It's a it's a pretty it's been a pretty bloated political situation. Do you feel like you're kind of caught in the middle of it sometimes? I, I really don't. I, again, I, I kind of view the world differently. I, I, I view it as, hey, here's here's different people with different ideas, and you know, I think our job, I view our job, is to try to help these varied stakeholders come up with the best solution that makes creates the best opportunity to do something um, unique and special. So I don't I don't view it at all as being in the crosshairs. I view it more as um, you know that Teddy Roosevelt quote of being in the arena. So I, I, it's more like that, and, and and so I don't like I sometimes the there can be some negativity and whatnot, but that's just part of the deal. So I, it's more to me exciting to try to help people come up with what's right to do and, and to help build consensus around all that. So I actually enjoy the process. Um, you know, sometimes the most difficult projects or challenging projects are the ones to me that I get the most excited about, you know, give me a perfectly wonderful site and you know, an unlimited budget. Like that's easy. But, but sometimes these more challenging ones are, are very intellectually uh, exciting and, and when you are able to see them through they're very satisfying in terms of accomplishment absolutely well take us through the the actual routing process because i know that it's a difficult s- space to arrange 18 holes on your two different parcels and there was an existing 18 hole golf course that wasn't very long what's what was it like to try to fit the types of holes that you wanted to build onto those pieces of ground so yeah, so the 18 holes at Jackson Park is roughly 5,800 yards, and the nine holes at South Shore is roughly 2,800 yards or something like that. So we really needed to avail of the land of all 27 holes in order to, to produce an 18-hole call it tournament worthy golf course. Um, and so that was very challenging, and you had to, to figure out how to pass golfers either under or over what, in essence, is is the the end of. It's not technically Lakeshore Boulevard, but it's basically what Lakeshore Boulevard um, spills out into. It's technically Marquette. But in any event, and so that was a huge challenge and a huge constraint. Um, the lake itself is a huge opportunity, but also a huge constraint. Uh, you've got vegetation, uh, trees um, that are constrained. You've got historic structures and historic landscape architecture. You know, it was a Frederick Law Olmsted design park. So you've got historic landscape architecture considerations. So it's just like constraint upon constraint upon constraint. And, and so you know, we've probably gone through, I think we're on scheme either you or V in terms of how many routings we've done. And that's not even counting like, you know, routing A3 and B4 and all this stuff. So we've literally done hundreds of different plans to try to figure out how to how to uh, um, come up with a design solution that, that creates world-class and very playable golf, but yet it deals with all these constraints. So it's a lot of words to say. I think the shorter answer is just like iterate, 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 and just keep iterating until you, you come up with something that, that truly works and, and, and sort of satisfies everything. It's going to be a different kind of golf course, I think, in many ways. Um, it's going to be tight uh in some spots and it's going to be wide and open in other spots i think that um they're going to be extraordinarily dramatic holes along the lake i mean we've got a par three routed you know that you play into the the backdrop of the skyline is is downtown chicago um you've got other holes that are going to feel more like there's an element to restore the prairie landscape around lake michigan and so we've got you know holes that are i think will feel very prairie like um, but then you've got other holes more back towards Jackson Park that are gonna, you're going to feel like you're playing more in the urbanity of the 
or into or around the urbanity of the of the of the, na- of the neighborhoods. And so uh, it's going to I think it's going to be very, very unique and and in um, different kind of place. Parts of the site are very flat. Um, and, and so just draining them alone is a challenge. And so I think you'll see us do some, uh, what I'd call old style, um, golf architecture kind of movements, like, like in the spirit of Rainer or, you know, something like, like, like the earthen formations and things that, um, that are almost like clearly man-made, um, I, I think to, to, to sort of energize and, and, uh, the parts of the land that are, are maybe a little bit less interesting. Um, at the end of the day, I think that how we'll, we'll shape it and sculpt it, you know, given that it's such a historic place, like I think we'll want it to look like it was, it was always there from day one. We'll want it to look like it is of, you know, the, the turn of the turn of the 20th century era golf course. And so I'm very excited about that. I think it's going to be something very unique and, and very different. I, I like to hear that your ideas on, on shaping it and trying to make it look old. And so far, what we've seen from, from your work with, with Tiger Woods is, I mean, I think most people have been really impressed with, you know, the way the, the way things have turned out. Blue Jack all, with all the width and all the short grass, it's, it's very inspiring. And, you know, it kind of, uh, it gives us hope, you know, for the future projects that the two of you can do together. Tiger obviously has an unparalleled understanding of strategy and that element of the game. Does he, was he, Someone who understands like classic architecture, like you mentioned, Seth Rayner or Donald Ross, does he does he explore those you know that side of the uh, the sort of the studious side of architecture? Yeah, I mean, so when, when I, I, I'd known Tiger Woods for a little while before I really sat down with him and talked to him about golf course architecture, and when I when I had that first conversation with him about golf design, I was sort of blown away at his knowledge of golf architecture and maybe I shouldn't have should, I mean in some ways I feel like that's I, I should have known he would have been but I still was sort of blown away and that, now I don't mean it in terms of him saying Chicago Golf Club's Seth Rainer golf course and the eighth hole is this but what I really mean is is when, when he looks at a golf hole like he clearly gets all of the golf course architectural elements of it like immediately and I think it's, it just comes from him being a very analytical player. And so he looks at, at a hole and, and quickly summarizes, you know, what the, all the different options are, you know, all the shot, different shot possibilities. And so I think he brings that, that real understanding to the game and to the, to our, his golf course design projects is this incredible understanding of, this is what this means to put a bunker here. This is what this means to shape a green this way, et cetera. I, I wouldn't say he's like the hugest student of linking this person's name to this golf course, but if you were to take him to a Seth Rainer golf course, he would immediately be able to decipher what almost what everything meant in terms of golf course architecture elements. And so that part of it's really neat. And I think you see him bringing that sort of understanding to um, – to his golf design efforts. And so you take Blue Jack, for example. I mean, the whole idea of width and angle, different angles, different options to play from different angles, all of that is very much embedded into the design. And as well as, you know, how it's shaped and how green surfaces are shaped and how contours are, uh, not just on the green surface itself, but on the green surrounds. And, and the whole idea of doing all the short grass around the greens was really, again, a, a tiger thing of really trying to promote and create as many different options um, for recovery shots around greens. He's a, he's a huge fan of Lynx Golf. And the reason he's a huge fan of Lynx Golf is because Lynx Golf provides so many different options of how to play a shot. And that's what he really, really likes. And so we've tried to bring that to that sort of shot making or, or options for shot making. Uh, we've tried to bring that to the, to the designs that he's been involved in. I th- to me, one of the inter- most interesting things about this particular project is it's, is it, it's an example on it. It's kind of a national scale of a dialogue that we can have about converting public spaces and public golf courses. This is a well-played well a beloved golf course in an old neighborhood that had a lot of you know guys that were playing out there for 20 and 30 dollars and when this project is proposed what it's done it looks like is it's really kind of forced people to look at public golf from all different angles you know just maybe drop some assumptions that they had and kind of be forced to look at 
you know, golf and the potential of golf and what it means to a community from a different angle. And then on top of that, you're working with all these layers of bureaucracy. I mean, what have you learned from this project that you didn't know going in that you can apply to? Hopefully, we get to see more Bow Welling and Tiger Woods public golf courses in the future that are similar to this and located in kind of urban or metropolitan areas. But what have you, what have you learned or been encouraged by just with this whole kind of meta aspect of this project? Right. Well, I mean, I think as a professional, I've, I've, I've learned patience. I mean, cause it's, there's a lot of process and to get through it, but, but I think having the patience and, and having gone through the process, you realize how important process is because that's, it's the process that helps people coalesce around an idea. So I think, the, the, so that's one part of it. I think the other part would be what's very impressive about Chicago. I think in general is um, there's this long-standing history of public-private partnerships um, in Chicago, like Maggie Daly Park would be an example of a lot of private money to help create something that for the whole public to enjoy. And in essence, all the developments at, at Jackson Park are really out of that same spirit in terms of, you know, here's public community space, community asset that a lot of private money is going to be raised to help do something that's going to be open and, and great for everybody and to help make the place be better. And so I really think that's a model for other towns and cities around the country to look at, um, whether it's around golf or, or not golf, um, but certainly around golf. I, mean, I think there's some, some opportunity to really say, hey, um, you know, we want to have a great public experience and it's going to make our, our place, our city be better. And it's going to engage people that are of the neighborhood. It's going to bring people from outside of the neighborhood. It's going to be people from outside of the city and really start to check off and, and achieve a lot of different goals and objectives um, with, with one, one physical place. Is mm -hmm. that making sense? Absolutely. You know, I, I'm, I've become more and more passionate about the idea of like public golf. And it seems to me one of the biggest opportunities in the future, every, with the, you know, the understanding that everything in golf design and golf development is difficult, but instead of somebody or some town or county or something going out and buying and investing in, you know, 300 acres on the edge of town to build a new golf course, it seems like the opportunity is going to continue to be to redefine and rework reconceptualize courses that already exist you know you have the bones you have a nice piece of property that's centrally located what can be done to maximize this and make it available to people and make it really interesting so this is sort of like a, te a potential template for that including all of the the political and community disagreements that are attendant to you know trying to accomplish public golf in an urban area I would agree with that. I mean, I, I do think it can be a template for um, for other places to model. I mean, it m maybe not at the scale of what this will be, but I think there's going to be lots of, of positive lessons learned. And I think when you when this all gets done and you look back at the impact that uh, this project and golf has made um, on the on the on the city and on the neighborhood, I, I think it's going to be something really special. And, and, I, and I'm hopeful that other people want to do something similar. You know, we came through an era in the in the 70s and 80s and 90s where it was the era of the player architect, you know, the big names, Jack Nicholas, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, the, you know, where and these guys had broad enterprises. You're working with the most notable golfer of, of the last generation. Do you is, is that but is that old model, the Nicholas design model? Is that will that be relevant going forward? Can you see like Jordan Spieth or Ricky Fowler or somebody, Dustin Johnson, getting into golf design and having like a big firm the way that the uh, the previous generation players did? You know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I think there, you know, a, a player that gets involved obviously brings uh, a level of exposure to a, to a project and to a venture, and I think there's real positivity in that. Um, I, I know with Tiger, you know, he from day one. He, he didn't want to make his operation into a really big operation and, and feel like he just had to do projects just to do projects. He really wanted to be involved in, in special, unique places, and he really wanted to be at a scale where he could do it. And, and, and so that, to him, meant not big. And, and, and so I think that's what we've done, and, and he's been you know, very involved in everything that, that 
that we've done, which is great. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, future tour players decide to get involved in golf course design. I think it's wonderful. And I hope they would just have the same sort of mentality of, hey, let me get involved in something where I can truly be involved and and be meaningful and make an impact. Um, and it'd be more than just marketing. But I, I, but I think the marketing aspect, the exposure aspect of, of having a, a tour player involved in a golf project, that's, I still think is great. Mm-hmm. What's the best modern course you've ever seen? Oh, modern course. How do you define modern? Going back the last maybe 25 years. 25 years. Best modern course. Jeez. Um, it's hard for me to separate the world into things I was involved in versus things I haven't been involved in. Let's say uh, you have not been. Something that's okay. outside of your realm. Um, let me think. Last 25 years. Best golf course. Um, God, what would that be? It's always such a tough question. I never thought this would be that tough. <laughs> so yeah. many people have to really think about this. I mean, I think what I, I, I have a hard time with superlatives in golf, to be honest with you. It's, it's like there's so many great golf courses and, and, and like, I just don't see it as a sort of big one, two, three, four, five, you know, whatever, you know, I, I'm from South Carolina and I think, you know, we used to be fortunate to spend some time at Kiowa. And so, you know, watching Pete build the ocean course was like really, really neat and really, really special. Um, and obviously it's an incredible piece of land. Um, and so I think that would be one maybe that I would talk about, but it's sure. also like, I'm not sure it's what I would do because it's hard to me. Um, but I think that's kind of a, a really, is there, is there cool a golf space. course out there that, that just fits your particular tastes, whatever those are. Maybe it's not considered a great golf course, but it's a, it's a newer course that you just like, it just makes you happy. Um, I mean, I, what I like, my big, big belief in golf design is, is that, it, it almost gets down into the, the the data. I mean, if you look at you know the difference between a tour pro and the, your your scratch player at a club, a scratch player, so a zero handicap versus a tour player, you know there those people are about five and a half shots apart, and and if you look into where how those five and a half shots where they get made up, like four or four and a half of them are from green to tee. And so what that says to me is that, and that's at, that's at the tour player versus scratch player level. If you then go down the handicap chain, if you will, it, that dispersion gets even wider. And so to me, what that means is that, is that golf courses are really hard for people off the tee. And, and that's where a better player outperforms a lesser player. And the disparity is less as you get up and around the green. So everybody wants to focus on short game, green, putting, yada, yada. But the reality is, is where, where a, a not-so-great player really struggles is, is hitting long shots. So, for example, my, if I had a 10-foot putt and I took Tiger Woods and I took my mother, my mother has a chance at that level of not losing to Tiger Woods. Like, she could make that putt. Is she going to is she going to win in the long run? Absolutely not. But if you take my mother to a four hundred yard hole and Tiger Woods at a four hundred yard hole, there is zero chance that she's going to beat beat him on that hole. And so the net of all that, and I'm gonna get around to answer your question, is but this is the kernel of kind of what I believe in terms of golf design, is that we really need to be building experiences that are wide and playable off the tee and up to the green. And then once we're at the green, you can start to do things that are more challenging for that better player. And, and I think that's how you build a golf course that is truly playable for high handicappers, but still challenging for the best players in the world. And so any golf course that I think starts to do that, um, I think that makes me happy. And so it's, it's things that are, are wide, like very wide off the tee. And so I saw David Kidd when he was halfway through Sand Valley I saw him at Hazeltine, actually, and he saw me across the way, and he knows that I'm, like, a big, big believer in width. And so he came running up to me. He's like, Bo, you're not going to believe it. Like, guess I've got one in 18 at Sand Valley routed side by side. Like, guess how – you know, basically a common fairway. Guess how wide that is. And so I knew that he – he knew that I liked width. And I think, God, well, what's a number I could throw out that seems really big to me? And I, I said, I don't know, David, like 150, 200 yards. And he's a huge <laughs> grin on his face. He's like, no, it's 300 yards wide. Wow. And so I, so anyway, I'm not answering your question actually at the end of the day, but I think 
to see guys start to, to think about width and, and angles, I think to me, those, that's the kind of golf courses that we should be building. And I think that are exciting. And I think those can be, you know, in a wonderful, great setting, but they don't necessarily have to be. So I think more, the more golf is, is that way. I think the better golf will be in terms of going forward. And, so, anyway, that's a nice, nice answer to nice. your question. No, that's a good answer. That's actually a really good answer. Couple, couple quick ones. Your favorite Irish dramatist or playwright? Samuel Beckett. Why? Oh, I just think he had a, a particular um, understanding of kind of the human condition and mm-hmm. um, in sort of the, the, the challenge that the human's face in terms of, of going through life and i think his plays in particular in, in a very conceptual way um really demonstrate that and and play that out and so uh, i've always thought he was very very a, a, a tune and creative person yeah he definitely has a, a a finger on the pulse of the human condition at least one pulse one type of pulse okay uh someone sees you at a bar restaurant Sky's the limit. What can they, what kind of drink can they buy you that you'd really appreciate? Oh, well, um, I mean, being half Irish, there's probably lots of answers to that question. Um, but I'm, a, I, I love a, a nice Middleton Irish whiskey would be maybe something up there or yeah. maybe a nice, nice glass of Bordeaux. Okay. What's your, do you have a, a favorite chateau? Not or really. A favorite region? I, not, not really. I, I, I'm, uh, but I would be a Bordeaux guy if you're going to give me some room. Okay, great. Well, Bo, I appreciate you doing this. It was great talking to you. Um, hit them well today. I'll be thinking we'll of do. We have a, uh, I meant to say this earlier, we have a common friend, actually. So that Brown Bear golf team that I referenced, um, Paul Rogers was on my team with me. And I think maybe you guys yeah. used to work, work together. Some, oh, so. Yeah, Travel and Leisure Golf. Yeah, he That's was right. my editor yeah. there. What a good guy. Yeah. I haven't seen, talked to him in a long time. He's really good. So he... Uh, I see him a couple times a year. He's he uh, he writes or helps out at Masters.com. So I always see him during the during the during the Masters. But uh, we normally get together to play play golf. Give him my best if you see him before I do. We'll do. I appreciate All that. Right. All right, Bo. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Bye. Okay, cool. So that was Bo Welling, and we threw in the seagulls for free. <laughs> the Jackson Park South Shore project is very very interesting and very compelling. Um, it's going to be so cool if they can manage to get that built and opened and, and pull it off in the way they think it can. I've provided some links in the show notes uh, to look at the the rendering of the course, and you can also just Google it and see some of the write-ups and storylines that are happening in the Chicago papers. I think everybody in golf should be pulling and, and rooting for this project and hope that it turns out the way that it can turn out. But it does bring up kind of an interesting question when it comes to projects like this that are, that I mean, there's a lot of sensitivity in, involved when you take a, a course in a, on the south side of Chicago, which is, which is not the wealthiest of zip codes, uh, to understate the issue, and, you know, to kind of come in and, and try to do something ambitious with the golf course that's an asset to that community. And it brings up the question of, you know, should endeavors like this, can they be administered from the top down? Can can people come in and say, you know, this is what we think is going to help uh, this neighborhood. This is going to become an asset for this community and for Chicago, for instance. Or do things like this, because they are so sensitive and this, this isn't, you know, people's backyards, do they need to happen at the grassroots level? Do these, does there have to be demand first? Does it have to happen from the ground up? But it's going to be interesting to watch the, as this project continues to develop to see how it ultimately turns out, to see if the resources are there uh, to bring it home with all the infrastructure issues, if the levels of bureaucracy and, and city departments can be handled accordingly, if uh, the civic groups and the neighborhood associations can be uh, adequately satisfied that this is in their best interest and they're not going to actually lose something rather than gain something, uh, we'll keep an eye on it. And if, if it does work out, like I said, it could really help uh, future urban and city golf reclamation projects around the country. It could be a, a useful template on, on how to do it the right way. I'm also glad we got to spend a little bit of time on the concept of, of urban spaces, urban green space, uh, community green space that can be utilized uh, for the public good, uh, centers of organization, and as Bo calls it, human interaction. Um, I kept, I feel like I was kind of trying to hammer that issue a little bit because I, I'm really interested in it. I think it's a very interesting concept, especially as it applies to golf. You know, I mentioned in the podcast about 
you know, in the main, really in the in the seventies and eighties, as developments went further and further outside of city centers, the golf courses got more and more strung out and became secondary to residential and real estate development. You know, and it, it's kind of like the way we shopped during that era too. We went kind of outside the cities and built giant shopping centers and shopping plazas. These indoor, two level. Uh, you know, indoor cityscapes that really uh, kind of took the soul out of shopping. I mean, they were kind of cool at the time. You go in and see an indoor, you know, water fountain and throw pennies in it. That was cool as a kid. But we look back on it now and it was a very stale and and very uh, non-organic way to, to shop. And, you know, there's a parallel there with the, with the residential golf courses of that area. You know, they were kind of often very soulless and, and strung out and offered no connection to, to nature or really even to the old game of golf. So I was interested in hearing Bo's ideas about how to incorporate golf in a more uh, urban setting on a more human scale. And, and, and I don't know that it's really been successfully done yet. Uh, you know, if you think of like a new urban community, like how do you mix golf into that? The closest thing that I can think of right now is really, we keep talking about on this podcast, but the Winter Park Nine Holes in uh, north of Orlando. I mean, it's really just set in a community, but you know, that was something that we'll continue to talk about is, is I'm, I don't know, maybe the name is, we just call it pedestrian golf, you know, something, you know, a, a place where you can put your bag on your shoulder, on your trolley and, and walk to the golf course like they do at a place like La Hinch and, you know, step from a city street right onto a golf course. So at any rate, I want to thank Bo. I know he was busy. I appreciate him taking the time out of his morning to do that. I hope he, he played well. Remember to uh, rate and review this podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Reminder to subscribe to it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Plus. I'm also on Spotify now. You can find Feed the Ball on Spotify. If you like to listen to music there, you can uh, switch over to the podcast section and stream me while you're working out or driving in your car. As you know, I am on Instagram and Twitter at Feed the Ball. Thanks as always to the Sundogs. Stay tuned for more episodes and until the next time, cheers. Different ways. Hallelujah.